given the risks involved and the ongoing reinvention, um, I just think that uh, that's a very difficult, uh, a very difficult landscape. Do you get the feeling that Chinese authorities just don't really care much for, for shareholders? They don't respect shareholders' rights. Uh, they're not interested in protecting shareholder value. Is that part of the problem? Uh, unfortunately, I think that's absolutely correct. Okay. Well, look, we look forward to talking to you more uh, this year, Brock, about what's going on up on the mainland and here in Hong Kong. Thank you very much for your or comments over the past year and have a very happy new year. That's that's Brock Silvers, who's Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And let's take a look at the markets uh, for this morning. First of all, uh, the Hang Seng looks like it's going to open about 50 points higher or so later on this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $78.40 a barrel. Uh, gold is at $1,829 an ounce. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for more Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse this morning. Uh, and coming up, uh, let me give you an update on the weather forecast just before I go. Mainly fine. Maximum temperature uh, around 21 degrees. Sunny periods tomorrow. Cloudier with one or two rain patches in the morning and latter parts of this week. It's 18 degrees right now. 83% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Citizen News says it will shut down its operations on Tuesday, citing what it called a worsening media environment. Aaron Tam reports. Citizen News' decision comes four days after Stan News announced its closure on Wednesday, following a police raid on its office, which saw seven people linked to the media outlet arrested. In a Facebook post, Citizen News, which was founded five years ago, said drastic changes in society and a worsening media environment in the past years have made it unable to achieve its mission without worries and concerns. Describing itself as a small boat in a storm, Citizen News says it must ensure everyone on the boat is safe. Police have joined forces with the University of Hong Kong to develop software to combat email scams. The Cybersecurity and Technology Crime Bureau said the scams are carried out through transfers to bogus email domains. It says it's particularly difficult for people to spot the emails, especially when swindlers pretend to be a partner company's CEO or other senior staff, insisting payment demands be quickly met through money transfers. Here's Chief Inspector Cheng Wai Ho. Most of the victims will come across some of the phishing emails or the framing of the fake emails with the change of characters like O with the zero or the little capital L with the one. And in some scenarios, if there's an S in an email, they will give them more S. For example, like if it's Selena, it would have two S to deceive the victims of receiving the emails. The new software, Vanguard, which will screen bogus emails, will be launched next Monday. The Kenyan paleoanthropologist and conservationist Richard Leakey, renowned for his extensive fossil discovery that shed light on human evolution, has died at the age of 77. He later became the head of Kenya's wildlife conservation body. With more on his life, here's the BBC's Natasha Grunberg. Richard Leakey became active in wildlife conservation and took over the corrupt and badly managed Kenya Wildlife Service, arming rangers and telling them to shoot ivory poachers. This made him enemies, and some suspect foul play caused the crash of a light aircraft in which he lost both legs below the knee. 
He was forced to resign from the KWS and formed a political party. Despite threats and violence, he eventually won a seat in Parliament, and President Moy later appointed him to his cabinet. Richard Leakey retired from government in 2001, but continued to campaign against corruption and to champion wildlife conservation and help for the disabled. Residents of two districts north of Denver in the U.S. state of Colorado are counting the cost of what officials have confirmed to be the most destructive wildfires in state history. At least three people are missing. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to the first Back Chat in 2022 with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Janice. Mixed feelings. I, it was either the studio or being sworn in this afternoon. It looks like the studio. Yes, no problem. Um, on today's program, is a fifth COVID wave coming and public transport fee increases? A growing cluster of apparent Omicron cases centered on a Cathay Pacific staffer who dined at the Moon Palace restaurant in Festival Walk has sparked fears that the highly contagious variant may trigger a larger community outbreak. Authorities have toughened up quarantine requirements for cargo flights and are pushing for more people to get vaccinated by requiring everyone deemed medically fit for jabs to get at least one shot by Chinese New Year if they want to go to public places like restaurants, gyms or cinemas. Those who are double-jabbed with the BioNTech vaccine have also been signing up, signing up for boosters since Saturday. So how close are we to a fifth wave of COVID-19 infections? Are these measures enough to protect us from a new outbreak? How worried should we be? After 9.15am, we'll talk about rising bus fares and plans by tram operators to raise fares by 11.5%. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined on the line by Dr. Siddharth Stridhar, a clinical virologist from the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Alvin Chan, the co-chair of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. Good morning to the both of you. Happy New Year and welcome to Backchat. Um, let's, uh, Happy New Year. Let's, Happy New Year. Let's start with you, Dr. Stridhar. Um, so we have another preliminary positive local Omicron case that's uh, linked to the restaurant cluster in Kowloon Tong. How worried should we be about this growing number of uh, reported cases there? Yeah, I'm pretty worried uh, because of the large number of exposed individuals at uh, Moon Palace Restaurant and uh, the seemingly poor ventilation and off the off the restaurant that uh, really makes it very easy for the virus to spread around. So uh, this is uh, going to be a matter of concern that we have to keep a close eye on. Luckily, we've been here before, so uh, obviously the Center for Health Protection has has, uh, plenty of experience in the legwork required to kind of uh, trace all the exposed individuals, uh, quarantine them, and hopefully identify individuals before they spread Omicron to the larger community. On the flip side, we are talking about a very... um, infectious variant and uh, the the, uh, propensity to uh, spread very, very quickly in the community. So it's uh, all in all, it's a matter of concern. It's uh, uh, something that Hong Kong hasn't had to 
deal with perhaps in uh, the recent uh, few months. So this is uh, uh, as close to a fifth wave as we've been in quite a while. I, yeah. think, I think, Dr. Srinath, good morning. It's Mike Rouse. Um, it's Monday, it's COVID, uh, and here we are again. I think the fifth wave is definitely here, surely. Um, it, 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 it's, it's just going to hit us. But how, but how worried is it? I mean, how virulent is it? Right, you know, the, the one indicator I look for that tells me that things are really worrying is when you start seeing cases with no known exposure. So at the moment, the cases we've been picking up are all uh, clearly linked to the Moon Palace incident in one way. But when you start seeing cases cropping up in the community here and there, no one knows how they caught it. Then you have what they call these hidden chains of transmission in the community. Then you know we're in real trouble. <laughs> so at the moment, this is bad. This is an outbreak. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's worse than anything we've seen in Hong Kong in the last few months. But uh, it doesn't seem like they're picking up these unknown source cases. Uh, because that, that, for me, would be a very significant indicator of... Uh, but I, I was talking to a relative in South Africa uh, yesterday by Zoom, and he's saying, oh, the fifth wave hit us, but it's already declining. That's right. Things are uh, seem to be on the mend in South Africa. It's a very different milieu in South Africa compared to here because they've had such high rates of uh, infection in the past that you're talking about a population with very high immunity levels. But if Omicron should hit Hong Kong, oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be with us for quite a bit. It's going to be very, very difficult to control. There's little doubt about that. All right, uh, let's bring in uh, Dr. Chan now. So, so what's your assessment? I mean, right now it looks like we have around uh, five cases so far related to the restaurant cluster if all the reported cases are confirmed. Is there a need to tighten social distancing measures? Well, I think the most vulnerable group is the elderly people. Um, our vaccination coverage for those over 80 years of age is still only just 20%. And for those over 70 years of age, only about 40%. Now, um, while we know that the um, Omicron uh, species have been less uh, serious than the Delta. I think that's what uh, Mike, you were asking, how uh, dangerous, how uh, virulent it is. Yes, uh, the uh, specialists uh, overseas had uh, assessed and uh, got the um, results that uh, they thought this Omicron is only perhaps one-third the severity of that of the Delta in causing uh, serious infections and hospitalizations and deaths. That is perhaps true. But the transmissibility, and that is the contagious uh, nature of this Omicron, is also more than double that of the Delta. And that is there will be many more cases got infected uh, if they had an index case in the community. That had happened in Hong Kong with five cases in uh, cluster community spread already, although perhaps up to now none of them seem to be very dangerous. But of course, there is already one 61-year-old 61, 61 uh, patient who had become um, 
serious, requiring uh, respiratory care. And I think we must be cautious because when the total number of uh, infected cases arise, that is much more uh, transmissible uh, nature of this Omicron compared to Delta, although perhaps it's one-third the severity, that of uh, the uh, Delta, the, the absolute number of cases could be the same. Uh, that could require hospitalization because of the high transmissibility. Or, or so because I of the low, not, uh, the low yeah. vaccination rate, which you already mentioned. I mean, yes, and if we take it, elderly people would be dangerous. Right, we're all going to catch it, and it will it will hurt us if we're not vaccinated. But if we're that's true, <laughs> that's why we have to uh, uh, really we we have to advise the elderly people really to get vaccinated. And so I uh, agree with the policy of the government to have the urge of all the people to have vaccination up to, like Professor Yuen had said, uh, 90%, over 90% of the vaccination coverage to protect uh, in order to have the herd immunity. Otherwise, uh, those elderly people would get sick and they would be uh, 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 jeopardized. The risk uh, would have uh, more deaths and the health uh, system in Hong Kong would be overwhelmed and that would be disastrous. All right, uh, Dr. Chen, we'll, we'll get into uh, the uh, expansion of the vaccination bubble in just a moment. Um, from what you've been saying just now, even if it wasn't for this uh, restaurant cluster, you mentioned the uh, contagious nature of Omicron um, and, and looking at the speed at which Omicron is spreading worldwide, would you say it's just a matter of time before Omicron hit the uh, local community here? Uh, in fact, we are still, uh, you know, um, waiting for the data. We really hope that uh, there won't be cases of unknown origin. Now, when there are cases of unknown origin, that means there are silent spread in the community and we could not trace the origin. And that would be very difficult for us to track the, um, <clears throat> the infectious roots of the index cases. That would be the point that uh, we have been uh, facing the danger. But of course now, still uh, only a few cases uh, which are traced to have the uh, origin. And uh, we could not be complacent because this uh, um, uh, spread to the community without origin traceable could happen any time. And I would think that uh, we must be careful, including that uh, what um, uh, Professor Yuyun had mentioned. So all the restaurants should review their own um, ventilation system, whether they have uh, the right uh, placement of the air filter or the um, uh, or the uh, Hapter, we call the Hapter filter, that would only be more um, efficient in uh, filtering air. And also, I think we have to implement and uh, kept uh, the, the, the policing of the restaurants to have uh, separation of duties for those waiters who collect the used and consumed dishes, which might be contaminated by someone who had been infected, and separate uh, separation of these uh, waiters from those who are delivering new foods, clean foods to uh, new customers. And if there is a mixing of these uh, duties, 
that means there could be a chance of uh, spreading those viruses, but, but contaminating doc, the dishes to the Chan, new ones. Dr. Chan, that would put an impossible burden yes, on the managers of restaurants. Um, well, you, you it's a matter of price. It's a matter of uh, money, of course. That, that is, you have to employ more uh, waiters or waitresses. Well, they, they won't do it. What about we just stop people who are not vaccinated going into restaurants? That would be uh, the measures uh, going to roll out um, in the new, new Lunar New Year, according to uh, Sophia Chen, uh, Professor Sophia Chen. I think uh, that has been uh, suggested by many experts for the past uh, two months. And uh, I, I think that is something um, that many people have resisted because they thought is. Uh, something that would uh, jeopardize the freedom of choice of people, uh, the freedom of choice to get vaccination, and then uh, they thought it might be look like uh, uh, a penalty measure, and that people would expect more uh, carrots than sticks. So, uh, but if we are really now at the uh, juncture of uh, having a fifth wave outbreak, then I concur that the government really has to uh, consider Do this move. Dr. Sridhar, what, what about this? Is a person free to choose whether to be vaccinated or not? Yes. But is that unvaccinated person free to come into the restaurant and contaminate me or some of the waiting staff? Actually, I don't think uh, there is any problem with that policy at all. So I'm fully in support with it. Hey, by this stage of the pandemic, two years down the road, Hong Kong has to start thinking about its future. And that future heavily relies on people getting vaccinated. I mean, it's uh, it's black and white. It's a very clear point. So by this stage, I mean, if, if you want to make um, certain conditions for uh, people who are unvaccinated, I think that's absolutely fine. So if uh, you say that people need a certain number of doses to go to restaurants, I think that's absolutely fine to get the vaccination rate a bit up. So if you have this very determined <laughs> segment of the population that refuses vaccination, then they'll just have to get takeaway because, honestly, our vaccination campaign isn't going anywhere, especially right. in the most vulnerable section of society. So we're, not dying, we're not denying them food. We're, we're not starving exactly. them to death. We're just saying you can't come into yeah. a restaurant unless you're vaccinated. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no issue. They can, they can uh, do takeaway, like you said. They can, they can eat sandwiches in the park. It's a, it's a question of balancing uh, liberties for all, okay? It's a cost, it's a price you have to pay for the, taking the decision not to be vaccinated. Uh, and we did see many elderly people uh, queuing up yesterday uh, outside community centres uh, to get their vaccination. So, so do you think uh, this, um, this uh, plan is actually uh, working? That's a great sign. You know, out of nowhere, <laughs> you see uh, uh, the most vulnerable segment of the population lining up to get vaccinated. And uh, at least it's an early indicator that perhaps this policy is at least moving a few people who were undecided or who were putting things off to really go and get uh, jabs in their arms. And that's what Hong Kong needs at the moment. So it's, uh, uh, you know, one thing I will say is that with the advent of Omicron, um, and it seems to be going to be here for the near future, and it is inevitable that it eventually makes it into Hong Kong, uh, the elderly would need three doses. So we are going to also have to include that in our messaging, public messaging, very clearly that uh, Omicron is really 
a three-dose variant uh, with uh, BioNTech. So it, uh, with, with Sinovac, you know, it, it might be even more than that. So right. we just have to be very uh, with, uh, clear. With Sinovac, your booster has to, virtually has to be BioNTech. And maybe oh, yeah, the government has been very clear that it uh, recommends the JSCEAP of uh, the expert advisory panel on vaccines has been very clear that those who have received two doses of CoronaVac would be advised to get a BioNTech booster, but it's still their choice, actually. Uh, so uh, theoretically, they could still go for CoronaVac for the third shot, but uh, it, 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 they'll have to be prepared for the fact that that decision might require a fourth shot down the line. Right. Dr. Chan, what can we do about children? Are we vaccinating enough children? Yes, I think the government has already approved the use of uh, the vaccine, uh, at least the uh, Sinovac one, uh, in, in, in the use of, um, say, the age group uh, from 3 to 11. So I think um, the the government should really consider the uh, vaccination campaigns in the primary school children age group and also roll out the mass vaccination uh, programs in the secondary schools and the uh, primary schools. So, of course, uh, it's still um, uh, consideration uh, for the safety uh, by the parents. Um, so I think the parents will have to sign consent forms, but still the government can make efforts to uh, really convince the parents that the children should also be vaccinated. Otherwise, our whole population would have one sector that is still not uh, vaccinated and not protected, and they could be infected, and they could be the index cases to uh, spread the infection to the elderly as well. And for the elderly, I also like to add one point. It's the point of time that we could improve the education for the elderly people. That uh, That is, I hope that the government could encourage uh, more uh, elderly patients to have family doctors who can explain the thing, the whole matter to the elderly people, because many elderly people perhaps are still resistant to the vaccinations, afraid of the side effects, which might be a um, misconception or misunderstanding. Right. After all, for the um, many uh, elderly who have been vaccinated for the past few weeks, they had no side effects or uh, serious uh, things that had happened. And these data could be spread to the elderly to uh, make them um, comfortable to mm. receive the vaccination and also for the uh, family members to consent their, uh, for the vaccinations right. for the elderly family members. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, my answer to your question is that I, I think the government should really consider rolling out the vaccination campaigns for school children as well. Yes, well, and apart from Sinovac from the, for the very young children, how about lower dose BioNTech? I think it is the BioNTech who had not applied for uh, vaccinating for the uh, younger population in Hong Kong. Uh, I hope the government could also ask the BioNTech to apply for, for such an uh, um, for the for the policy of Hong uh, Hong Kong had already um, considered this. I don't know why BioNTech had not applied for the use to vaccination in such an age group because they have been uh, in Singapore, in right. Israel, in many places they are uh, vaccinating 
uh, children from 5 to 11. I don't know why they had not applied. That's, that's right. Is it, is it a half or a third of the, of the normal dose for adults or something like that? So yes, they need to because uh, this would uh, uh, um, really protect the children from developing myocarditis with the ordinary dose uh, right. for adults in children. Uh, after reducing it to one-third the dose and also uh, spacing the uh, second dose from the third dose uh, for 12 weeks, the, the, the risk of myocarditis become really minimal or undetectable. I, I think uh, that would be safe for the parents uh, to allow the children to have the vaccination. And also many people would advise that uh, for the children, might be we could give the vaccines at the, on the thighs. Even for adults, it's good to have the vaccines on the thighs rather than on the deltoid. And this thing, I, I think, uh, the, for the logistics, uh, the school had to arrange <laughs> asking the children to put on a short, uh, short plan, uh, the, uh, really the plant rather than the long leaf uh, plant to go to school for the vaccination. But when the vaccination program rolled out, I would think that uh, it would be beyond winter. It must be in the spring or summer already. So it would not be too cold for the children or the adults to have the uh, vaccination on the rise. Right. And I mean, there, there have been talk about lowering the minimum age for the BioNTech vaccination to, to five years, five year olds. Um, do you know how safe it is? I, I know it's been given the green light in, in U.S. and Europe, but exactly how safe is it? Well, I think uh, the only problems that we have now identified other than anaphylaxis or allergy is the myocarditis that happened in boys in the adolescents and young adults when the uh, second dose uh, were given to these uh, uh, young adults or adolescents. So for the children so far, uh, for the studies with the one-third uh, dosage of the second dose of vaccines or first dose of vaccines, there are not the dangers. Uh, I mean, myocarditis uh, does not seem to be a danger mm. when applied as such. So I, I think... Uh, now the data seem to be okay. Of course, uh, you, many people would like to wait for a longer period to observe uh, or the, uh, whether there could be side effects uh, when we uh, wait a little bit longer. But I, I think uh, so far there have been already data for uh, more than uh, four or five months uh, in the Western countries that they have already started the studies. So I think um, the uh, experts in the scientific committee had considered this before they approved uh, the use of the vaccine right. um, of their age group. And Dr. Srila, the doctor or Professor Ewan's comment about 90%, uh, that includes children, doesn't it? That's a whole population number. It, it should. It should include uh, the entire eligible population, which, which actually uh, now includes children, at least for uh, Coronavac, and hopefully BioNTech in the very near future. Mm. Because so, if the children uh, get I it, they're like going to give it to the adults. Sorry, I didn't catch that. If the children get it, they can pass it to the unvaccinated adults. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So I don't like setting certain... Um, goalposts like 90% or 99% because that gives you a false sense of security once you reach that goalpost. It's got to be as high as possible. It's as simple as that. And ideally, you know, every single, uh, no, no one is left out and every single person is vaccinated. And that really should be our 
our goal, if not pragmatic, at least an aspiration. And I just want to go back uh, briefly to, to the vaccination uh, bubble we're talking about uh, earlier, Professor, I mean, Dr. Strida. Uh, um, some, some experts like uh, your colleague, Professor Ivan Hong, who will join us later on in the program, he believes the uh, vaccination bubble should uh, even be expanded further to cover more venues like uh, wet markets and parks. Is that something you'd support? Well, um, I, I just want to make it clear that expanding the vaccination bubble won't necessarily keep Hong Kong safe from Omicron per se, because these measures are not for um, preventing an outbreak in the community. These measures are for uh, uh, are for increasing the vaccination uptake rate. And for that goal, yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, honestly, I, I think we would uh, definitely need to see more of that uh, once we observe the effect of this uh, uh, restaurants requiring one dose uh, measure, uh, we may eventually have to expand that to other venues as well if we find that this is an effective uh, uh, carrot uh, to get uh, more people vaccinated. So, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I think that is a very pragmatic thing that we do have to consider. So, so only if it doesn't boost the vaccination rate uh, high enough? All right. Um, Dr. Sridhar, we're going to take a short break for the news summary, um, and then we, we can discuss uh, more after the uh, news. Um, Dr. Chan, thanks again for joining us on the program today. And that's uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, the co-chair of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. And uh, like I just mentioned, Dr. Sridhar will continue our discussion right after the news when we will be joined by Professor Ivan Hong, the co-convener of the Government's Expert Committee on Clinical Events Assessment following COVID-19 immunisation. And just a reminder that after 9.15am, we'll look at public transport fee increases. If you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, give us a call. Our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Now a quick look at the weather. It'll be mainly fine. The top temperature will be around 21 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies. And uh, right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 18 degrees. Relative humidity, 82%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. Today, we're talking about the threat of Omicron in Hong Kong and possible ways to prevent a fifth COVID wave here. If you have any questions or comments on today's topics, feel free to contact us. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Still with us on the program is Dr. Siddharth Strida, a clinical virologist from the University of Hong Kong. And uh, we're hoping to be joined later on in the program by Professor Ivan Hong, the co-convener of the Government's Expert Committee on Clinical Events Assessment following COVID-19 immunisation. All right, uh, I've got a few emails here. And um, this one is actually uh, for Dr. Chan, who is uh, already... Uh, um, who had to rush off um, somewhere else. Um, but uh, maybe, Dr. Stridor, you, you might uh, be able to answer this. It says, um, Dear Dr. Chan, the key question is, uh, why do we have such a pathetic low vaccination rate among the elderly? Banning non-vaccinated patrons from restaurants, eateries will certainly put the pressure on and lead to faster uptake of, of, uptake of vaccines. However, it seems the majority of Hong Kong citizens does not get the message that vaccination protection is to avoid becoming sick. 
severely sick and therefore prevents a breakdown in public health care systems like we've been seeing in many countries already. Something I think the 80% non-vaccinated elderly don't seem to care about. All right, then that uh, email is from Saki. All right, uh, uh, Dr. Sridhar, what, what you, what's your response to that? Um, vaccine hesitancy in Hong Kong is a very complicated issue, and I don't think it's uh, easy to boil it down or fair to boil it down to elderly refusing to get vaccines. I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, firstly, we don't have COVID in Hong Kong. For the last few months, there's been no local transmission, so it, it seems like a very distant threat. Secondly, we've had very extensive reporting on uh, anecdotal cases of uh, adverse events after vaccination, like somebody gets a stroke within a few days of vaccination and it's uh, blared out across uh, headlines uh, in all kinds of media outlets, and that leads to the uh, impression or uh, perception that vaccines are somehow unsafe for the elderly. I would also point out that, uh, you know, having practiced in Hong Kong for the last uh, decade or so, a lot of decisions for elderly are actually made by their children. So it's still a very uh, relatively traditional society in that respect. So the, uh, so the children would be like, oh, let me get the vaccine, let me take the shot. But you're old, you're ill, you have so many chronic medical conditions, don't get the shot. Okay, so this is uh, definitely a messaging that comes from the younger generation to the older generation, which I've seen uh, time and time again. So it's oh, oh, it's going to take time uh, for these issues to be resolved and uh, uh, slowly change. But uh, unfortunately, I think one thing that's going to really accelerate vaccine uptake in Hong Kong is a fifth wave. <laughs> so, nah, but none of us want to see that because there is uh, going to be uh, uh, you know a high chance of loss of life, etc. But uh, for what seems like a distant threat, it is perhaps understandable why we are in this position today, even if we don't want to be in this position. There seems to be a wide range of of way countries are reacting now. Um, Some are talking about a complete ban um, at one end of the spectrum. Others are treating now this fifth wave and Omicron as a as a, a, a just a case of flu. Stay home for a couple of days, drink a lot of water and then go back to work. We seem to yeah. be at the at, at one end of the spectrum where this is a disaster. It's the it's the leading item on just about every news bulletin. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're basically living in uh, two different worlds, nearly. So everybody tried to gather together some kind of ban, travel bans, etc., for Omicron early on, but that obviously didn't work because these bans are very, very porous indeed. And Omicron spread uh, so rapidly that it rendered these travel bans quite useless. And now, uh, I mean, a large segments of the world are just dealing with fallout from Omicron and uh, pretty much uh, allowing it to circulate widely, except for some, um, you know, salutary measures here and there. But uh, in, in this part of the world, in Hong Kong and the mainland, it's still seen as something that's very, very uh, uh, significant. And uh, we are imposing all kinds of... Um, travel bans and measures and are already very tight uh, quarantine system for inbound travelers to keep it at bay. So it's very interesting, but uh, it's where we are. All right. Uh, we're now uh, joined uh, on the line by Professor Ivan Hong, the co-convener of the uh, government's expert committee, committee on clinical events assessment following COVID-19 immunization. Happy New Year, Professor Hong, and welcome to Backchat. 
Um, uh, good morning and happy new year. And uh, over the weekend, um, you said that if we uh, saw more local cases of Omicron, then we should tighten infectious control measures. And it looks like we have around uh, five cases so far that's linked to the restaurant cluster, if all the reported cases are confirmed. Do you think that there is a need to tighten these uh, control measures or is it still too early to tell? Well, I think it's still early to tell. Maybe we can wait for a few more days. And if there are more cases, then depending on the scale of it uh, and whether there's any unknown origin, uh, unknown source of cases, then uh, that we will need to tighten up these uh, infection control measures. Do you think this uh, cluster of cases will, will affect plans to open the border with the mainland? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think that will matter too much. Um, given that, of course, uh, both places we have uh, cases of Omicron. The uh, important thing, of course, is that we, this, the emergence of the Omicron actually gave us time uh, to, you know, to buy time to, to improve our vaccination rate, which is currently still standing at 70%. So if we can increase the vaccination rate to over 90% over the next two or three months, then we will be in a very good condition to, uh, to open up which I believe uh, by that time there will be very few cases uh, in, in Europe or in U.S. because uh, most places will have achieved herd immunity by then, uh, either by natural infection or by uh, vaccination. Are we getting, good morning, uh, Professor, are we getting to the stage where we just have to live with Omicron? Yes, eventually I think everyone has to live with Omicron. Uh, and as you already said, you know, it's, it's very much flu-like. Uh, the problem, of course, is still that even though it's one-third so-called the severity, uh, needing hospitalization uh, or, you know, uh, intensive care is still one-third that of Delta, uh, if you have a large number of cases, then it will still be a significant number of patients who require hospitalization. So uh, if we could improve the vaccination rate to over 90%, then we'll be in a much better condition to, to open up. Uh, and of course, there will be uh, far fewer cases that will require hospitalization uh, or intensive care. Because hospitalization and intensive care tending to be a feature of, for the unvaccinated rather than the fully vaccinated. Of course, you will get the odd exception. but uh, indeed, indeed, yes. Uh, so that's why it's important to... Uh, to get your booster dose, the third dose, uh, because from from the study, from our research, we find that basically the third dose is most important to uh, improve the neutralizing antibody titer uh, against uh, the Omicron variants, uh, which of course are very much, uh, you know, uh, the the titer compared to Delta to the to the Delta strain is very much lower. Uh, you know, even after the, uh, the, the, the booster dose, but it's still uh, su sufficient enough to give you a good protection. And the COVID booster program has just been expanded. So far, do you know if uh, many people have been getting a bad reaction to the booster shot? Yes, apparently uh, yesterday there was a, a, a record high of not, uh, close to 8,000 people getting vaccinated in a day. Uh, so a lot of people not, you know, not only getting uh, the booster shot, but there are people who, because of the increasing, you know, the, the coverage of the so-called vaccination bubble, uh, that there are a lot of people getting the, their first dose as well. And uh, also earlier, I know you, you mentioned that uh, you expect the age limit for BioNTech to be lowered to uh, five-year-olds. Uh, when do you expect that to happen? Well, because the, uh, the, the, 
the uh, uh, the shooting dose for the um, for the five to eleven of the BioNTech is a different formulation. Uh, it's actually uh, one third dosage, but in terms of volume, uh, the is actually half the volume. So it's a different formulation. Uh, so uh, the uh, already uh, Fushan has already uh, submitted the in, uh, you know the intention to to get approval. Uh, and at that time, of course, it was a month ago. We were still waiting for the approval from uh, the FDA and then, of course, the uh, European uh, Vaccine Drug Agency to, for their approval as well. So uh, now they've got that, I think they will be submitting their uh, approval to the advisory committee very, very soon. Uh, and once we get the approval done, uh, which should be very quick, uh, then we, of course, we will have to wait uh, for the vaccines to uh, to come to Hong Kong, because uh, currently is in very very, uh, you know, uh, there's a bit of a shortage of this uh, children formulation. So hopefully we'll be able to get our supply uh, once we, they've got the approval. All right, and here here I have a email from Simon. He's uh, writing about uh, um, his concerns about uh, vaccination for children. He he says the risk reward for vaccinating children doesn't make sense. Children clearly don't get bad COVID or die. So vaccinating them is not to protect them, but to protect older people. If it's not fair, it's not fair to force the over 88. Oh, if it's not fair to force the over 80s, then how is it fair to force children? My wife and I are happily vaccinated and I will vaccinate my five-year-old when the over 80s start to get vaccinated. That email is from Simon. What's your, your response to, to the, that kind of view? Well, I don't, I don't think that's true because uh, even though the, uh, the children, of course, they have a very, few, you know, much milder case uh, presentation and many of them, of course, are so-called asymptomatic. Uh, they occasionally, they do have uh, severe cases. The other thing, of course, is that they could carry a very, very high viral load. Uh, and then, of course, they could, uh, you know, spread the uh, infection to their family members, especially to the elderly. So uh, it's important to get the children vaccinated, as well as, of course, the elderly who are at a very high risk. So uh, currently we are encouraging uh, the, the elderly to get vaccinated. But there may be, uh, of course, that will be, they will be so-called have an incentive because of the increasing of the vaccine bubbles that if they don't get vaccinated, that they could not go to certain places like restaurants, uh, you know, or, or to the gym or to, you know, other or to the library. Uh, this kind of public places, uh, but soon it might, they might actually increase the uh, the bubble to to market, to wet market, or even uh, to to going to the to the park. So um, if that's the case, then of course they will have very strong incentive for the elderly to get vaccinated, or they may even uh, extend to elderly homes. So, so you, you believe uh, making life difficult for the unvaccinated is the best way to boost vaccine uptake? Absolutely, because I, I think it's important. To be fair to those, seventy uh, percent of the population have been vaccinated, uh, and that they could, you know, they, they should not be, you know, um, compromised uh, because of those thirty percent who have not been vaccinated, and 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 it will be fair to to so-called protect them because uh, if if Omicron is to come into Hong Kong, then they of course if they the, they have not been vaccinated, then they will be very high risk of uh, getting the infection. Is the can I just ask is the science now clear that if you had the two Sinovac for your first and second, that your booster should probably be on tech? 
uh, from our study, uh, it showed that if you cross over to the BioNTech, uh, you know, for the booster, then the uh, the protection against the Omicron is better than getting uh, the third dose uh, as a Sinovac. Uh, so uh, even though, of course, uh, both are able to generate, you know, uh, neutralizing antibody, of course, the, the, the BioNTech booster is, uh, is, is better in terms of the higher cheater. Uh, of course, they are saying that you know the uh, the the Sinovac uh, could generate some T cell response, uh, which is not reflected by the neutralizing antibody. Uh, but still, the uh, you know most studies have shown that the best reflection or correlation to protection is the neutralizing antibody titer, uh, and not with the T cell uh, response. Uh-huh. So, uh, and there are of course other studies suggesting that if you want a better protection against Omicron, you probably need a fourth dose. Yes, I was just about to ask you that. Uh, yesterday, uh, Health Secretary Sophia Chan said uh, people who receive Sinovac shots may need a fourth booster shot. Is that, uh, is that what people are doing in other places? I mean, on the mainland? Uh, I think currently uh, mainland is just focusing on uh, boosting the, 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 for the third dose booster, uh, which I think uh, that will, of course, uh, enhance the protection against the Omicron. Uh, but... Uh, if if the uh, the titer is not too high against the Omicron, uh, just like we shown that you know uh, it, it's, it's far lower compared to the Delta variant, uh, then they might actually need the uh, for those who have received three doses of Sinovac, they might need the fourth dose very soon. All right, I just have a. I mean, we were sort of out of time, but I, I have this email that uh, maybe you maybe you or Dr. Streetar can help answer. This one is from John. He says that vaccination does not prevent transmission and infection, but daily sync is cheap and lowers risk of infection. There are countless papers to demonstrate the same. Why has the CHP not advertised this cheap measure to lower risk? Is that true? No, I think I think uh, that a lot, lot of studies have already demonstrated that uh, with the vaccination, uh, even though it's not not 100 percent, uh, it's still able to lower the viral load in the uh, nasal passage or the upper respiratory tract. Uh, but of course, that might be better against the Delta rather than against the Omicron, which the Omicron have a lot of, uh, you know, a very high viral load uh, in the upper respiratory tract. So if the vaccine is coupled with uh, mask wearing, then it will be uh, it will be it will be probably very much sufficient. Uh, which the only time that you take off the mask is probably uh, you know in in the restaurant when you're dining. Okay, and just one final question to uh, both. Um um, you and uh, Dr. Stridor. This email is from Andrew. It says, um, seems that uh, Backchat is starting the year with more mundane topics. Do you agree this is a mundane topic, <laughs> um, Professor and, and uh, Dr. Stridor? Talking about well, Omicron. Uh, I don't think that's a mundane topic. I think overall it's, uh, this is, uh, is still very, very important. And I think, you know, if... Um, you know, we can, of course, in the next couple of months, we can get the vaccination rate up. I think uh, this will be very, very important uh, for us to have the best condition to, to open up uh, to both internationally, globally, and also uh, to, to mainland China. Dr. Stridar? Yeah, well, since we've been talking about COVID for two years now, I'm saying more of the same things. It's, it's kind of both important and mundane. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Siddharth Stridhar, a clinical virologist from the University of Hong Kong, and Professor Ivan Hong, the co-convener of the government's expert committee on clinical events assessment following COVID-19 immunization. It's now 20 minutes past nine, and it's time to turn to our final topic today, and that's about rising bus fees and plans by tram operators to raise fares by 11.5%. To comment, we are now joined by transport expert Alok Jain, who is the managing director of TransConsult Limited. Good morning, uh, Mr. Jain. Good morning. Good morning, Jane. Happy New Year to you and welcome to Backchat. Um, so a fair hike of up to 12% was approved for four bus companies back in March. The first uh, 8.5% increase was uh, implemented last April and uh, another 3.2% increase um, took effect yesterday. How much impact do you think it will have on commuters? Well, 3.2% increase should not have much impact. It would be a, um, unnoticeable. In most cases, it won't be more than 10 cents, 10, 20 cents. So it will be very mild in terms of fare increase per se. But uh, I think it's, it's more of a perception issue and the timing issue. Obviously, when the fare increases were approved and the timings were announced, it was anticipated that by this time of the you know, year, we would be out of um, the, the blues from COVID. And, and obviously that has not happened and people are still not able to travel as much and we don't have tourists in town. So obviously uh, that has had an impact on, on the businesses uh, and, and, and the mindset of people. The people are not expecting any increases to happen or on, on their daily cost of living at the moment. Yeah. Is it going to lead to uh, – good morning. Is it going That's to lead, lead to any shift between the different modes? Well, 3.2% increase, I doubt it will. You know, normally in transport uh, systems, we use a uh, thing called price elasticity. Right. And a 3% increase in fares should not lead to more than a 1% variance, you know, in, in ridership, and which is uh, unnoticeable in, in, a, in a larger scheme of things. So I don't think it is going to have a major impact on public transport ridership or we will see a major shift. Uh, but we have to understand that the fare increases for public transport um, are inevitable evil, you know. So as the CPI increases, the cost of wages go up, the cost of uh, running the services, operations go up. So fare increases are necessary, especially in a Hong Kong kind of model where there is no subsidy by the government. Right, but, well, there is a subsidy for some classes of passengers, aren't there? Because the over, yes, the over 60s, yeah. or it's over 65 at the moment, although I think... The government is bringing it down to sixty. Correct. You only pay two dollars. Indeed, yeah. So, so that so segment of elderly and the disabled, they do enjoy a certain level of subsidy from government as a part of public transport fare subsidy scheme, and then government also provides a subsidy on overall public transport spending. So, if you are spending more than four hundred dollars right. a month, then you can offset. Uh, your um, your, um, your your fares by the government. Yeah. You get some sort of rebate. How, how are the transport operators doing now financially? I think, okay, let me put the numbers on, on the, because I don't know the financial results, but I can say, I can see that most of the domestic ridership that we had on Hong Kong public transport system is back on the track. So we are getting all the domestic riders. Obviously, the tourist segment, which used to contribute to about 10% of the total ridership, is still not there. 
and hence we are missing um, uh, that part of the of the ridership. But otherwise, uh, they are doing quite well. And in fact, the weekend ridership in Hong Kong has gone up as compared to pre-COVID uh, situations. Because people have got to go up the peak or something because they can't go to Macau. Indeed, yeah, they are not travelling. People can't fly to Phuket, I suppose. Uh, so they are travelling more on weekends. I've also and noticed... the weather has been you know it has been quite nice in Hong Kong yes. this year too. I've also I've also noticed change in in other areas. That I went to Disneyland the other day, I could barely squeeze in the front door. Indeed, um, it was yeah, absolutely jammed, and the and yeah. the main street. Um, it took sort of twenty minutes to go from one end to the other. It's yeah. absolutely. No, I was in Disneyland just before Christmas too, and and um, and I can tell you, the way people are turning up to these local facilities is indeed amazing, and it has uh, uh, somehow. I mean, I was listening to the news at nine o'clock, and and Alan Zeman was mentioning how Lan Kwai Fong has doing roaring business this year. Yes. So yes, people locally. Like, this is what we call revenge spending. Yeah. So people have been doing a lot of spending uh, because they can't go anywhere and they can't spend the money. And the staycations also doing well. Indeed, yeah. But this so, take, take us away from our topic uh, <laughs> of, of bus fares and tram fares. And, of course, another problem here you've got, do, do people tend to round up on things like trams? Do you, or do, are they ready to go with, with 10 cents? Or do they round up to 50 Sorry, I didn't get the question mark. Right, the, with fares, uh, you can go from three ninety to $4. Okay, that's a $0.10 cent one. If everyone's mm. using Octopus, maybe that makes sense. But mm. it, sometimes I've, if you go from one fifty to $2 on the tram or 2 to $2.50, um, mm. or, do, or do they go to some interim point, not rounding up to $0.50? Cents? Yes, so for single journey, so there are difference between octopus fares and single journey fares. Right. So single journey fares normally, let's say on MTR, they are rounded to 50 cents. And octopus fares are the ones where you have, you see the 10 cents and the 20 cent increase. And I can also probably um, say one more point here, is that most of the people in Hong Kong who are paying by octopus, the recall rate of how much they have paid for the public transport is very low, very poor. And there have been studies which, which show that. So people, octopus makes it so smooth that people don't feel the pinch of those right. 10, 20 cents when they're paying on the buses or trains. Yes, they, because they, they can't see it. Well, it's displayed on the on a screen, but right. people are moving so fast they that don't they, don't, they, don't, <laughs> they don't bother. Yeah. That's right. Yes, Mr. Mr. Jane, uh, it doesn't, I mean, from what you're saying, it doesn't seem to be um, that bad. I mean, do you think it's the right time for, for tram operators to also uh, try to raise fare by 11.5% now? Yeah, I think timing is one of those issues. It's, it's perception-wise. Obviously, we are in the middle of a, a kind of a crisis where people are not able to travel. We have this epi epidemic. A lot of businesses are affected. So, obviously, timing, we can always argue. But if you look from public transport companies' point of view, they have no subsidies from government, and they have to run the business, they have to pay the wages, they have to pay for the electricity, for the fuel, and all those things. And, and obviously, they have to, at some point, balance the books, otherwise they would be unviable. So, I mean, we have choice where we have a decent public transport system versus we see some of these companies go bust and not able to, to manage the, the businesses or the quality of service. So I think 
looking at this, this is a lesser evil in my opinion. Uh, but obviously, uh, at times like these, one can expect that the government would possibly offer certain level of support or subsidy, which can then offset the increase um, to some extent, or maybe delay the increase uh, by, by a few months. Do you think 11.5% is reasonable? Well, considering the fares that they are charging at the moment, which is $2.60, if I recall, uh, it's, it's actually going to become $2.90. So that's a 30-cent increase, which is for tram business, which has been declining due to competition, um, of, due to congestion, first on the roads in, 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 in Hong Kong Island, and two, because of the competition by other modes of transport. I think that they need that money, and trams right. have been on the margin of operations um, all the time. So if we are expecting them to provide a better service, we probably have to pay this fare. And this, this percentage game, of course, you've actually illustrated it very well. You, 30 cents, people wouldn't notice 30 cents. I guess if you dropped three 10 cent coins on the on the road, are you going to really bend down to pick them up? And, <laughs> That's and, correct, yeah. and yet, you know, because of the base is so low, 30 cents sounds like a big percentage. That's correct. It's a percentage wise, it's bigger. But trams, if you see, uh, if, if you look at historic last 10 years, 20 years of uh, if you plot the tram fares, that this, this increase of 11% is actually much below the CPI uh, increase over that period of time. Right. All right, uh, Mr. Jane, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, transport expert Alok Jane, who is the managing director of Trans Consult Limited. Also, uh, many thanks to uh, you for commenting through email and our Facebook page. Now, here's the weather. Mainly fine, the top temperature will be around 21 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies and the outlook sunny intervals tomorrow. Cloudier with one or two rain patches later this week. Right now it's 18 degrees and the relative humidity 79%. As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Hong Kong's 90 new lawmakers will be sworn in today after last month's election, beginning their four-year term as members of the Legislative Council. It is the first formal duty for the representatives elected under Beijing's reforms to the electoral system. The Chief Executive, Kerry Lam, will administer the oaths. The chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says bars and restaurants in the area saw record business over the Christmas and New Year period, with takings up 25% compared to pre-COVID times. The industry had suffered due to social distancing measures, but Mr. Zeman said things have taken a turn for the better in the past six months, with people who can't travel spending money on entertainment. And the mainland developer Evergrande has announced an immediate halt in trading of its shares and related structure products on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. It's given no reason for the trading halt. Those are the news stories we're covering in this half hour. We'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. Hello.
Yeah, not too bad at all. Even the last spotted. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me. Still. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Happy New Year to you and welcome to the first brew of 22. Great to be back with you. Well, after one of the Hong Kong rugby highlights of the year on January the 1st, Robbie McRobbie. We'll get things going at 10.10 with this week's Oval Update. 10.40 and New York correspondent and best-selling author Tracy Kwan. She's going to join us from the Apple. Moving on for the 13th time, Bears Premier Music Festival is back this once a year chamber music series which features some of the world's greatest musicians is on for the next three weeks and we'll be meeting a few of these fine players here on the program today it is viola star born lao after 11:30, he's going to invite you to his string bouquet and at 12:10 today bureau chief at large neil runciman will join us live from ho chi minh city in vietnam to tell you about the other New Year celebrations there. Of course, Neil, as always, will be on Facebook Live. 